Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Well, I'm going to begin this sermon with an experiment today. So the experiment's going to go as follows. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, and after a bit, I'm going to, a couple seconds, I'm going to say a word. And when I say the word, I want you to assess with it in your own heart and mind what, what feelings and thoughts come to mind when I say that word. Sound good? All right, I invite you to close your eyes. And give the word in three, two, one. Conflict. Reflect on that for a moment. Okay, open your eyes. We don't have time to go around the room and get different answers and different perspectives, but I'd be intrigued to hear the responses of when that word comes up because for many, conflict is a very scary thing. It's something that typically goes back to maybe family experiences or maybe experiences in school or workplaces where conflict can become a very intimidating or scary thing. For others, conflict could be a positive thing if it's been handled well. But more often than not, as I have conversations with people, and I know even in my life, where conflict is a challenge, and conflict can be scary. And as we think about conflict, though, but conflict could also be an opportunity, because conflict typically arises when something's wrong, whether within a relationship, between groups, or within an organization. If, if conflict can be seen through that lens, it could help a person or a group get to the heart of the matter, get to the core. And we see who does this better than anyone? Jesus. Jesus does this better than anyone. We see that throughout the Gospels when he engages in confrontation and conflict with people. And through that conflict, he gets to the heart of the matter over and over and over. And so as we continue in our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark called Breaking News, we've been going through Mark's Gospel, his account of Jesus' life, his teachings, and his ministry. We've been looking at the different accounts like news stories and asking God, why is this significant? Who's involved? Why are they there? What impact did it have on them then, and what does that impact have on us now? And today's breaking news story is Jesus confronts the religious leaders. Jesus has a confrontation and a conflict with the religious leaders. So we've seen Jesus, his life, come into contact with all kinds of people in these weeks. We've seen him come in contact with those in need of healing, those who were struggling, others who were in desperate situations. This is a different kind of flavor today. And we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with religious leaders, the Pharisees and teachers of the law. In review, they're the ones who knew God's commands inside and out. The written commands that are recorded in the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah. But also the oral traditions that came up over the decades upon decades of trying to follow God and trying to be God's holy and separate people. These religious leaders are trying to do the right thing. But like a lot of things in life, what can start out on the right path, if taken too far, you get a person or a group in trouble or have them in a situation they don't really want to be in. And in those situations, they need to be assessed and even changed. And that's where Jesus comes into the picture. So we're going to look at an account from Mark 7. We're going to look at 23 verses. It's a long account today of this confrontation. And we're going to walk through it from start to finish. So I invite you along on this journey as we look at conflict as a potential possibility. We're going to see today that Jesus exposes whatever's standing in the way of us faithfully loving God and others. 
as we go through this, keep your eyes open for this, that Jesus exposes whatever is standing in the way of us faithfully loving God and others. So keep that in mind as we make our way through this. Because once again, we'll see how Jesus uses an interaction with a person or a group to, to teach not only them, but teach us by extension today. We're going to see again that the kingdom of God, when it intersects with the kingdoms of others, that there's change that takes place. Change that takes place. So uh, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 7 of Mark, and we're going to look at this confrontation. Um, so get ready. Here we go. You ready? You ready? Let's go. That's like to hear. Verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So we'll stop there. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they come from Jerusalem. This is a big deal. Jerusalem is the center of religious authority. And so for them to come all the way from Jerusalem to Jesus, first, that, sig- that signals there's something going on. They came to check out who this Jesus was, what he was saying, what he was doing, and really to engage him and really get into a conflict with him. And so they show up and they're surrounded him, and they notice something right away, that Jesus' disciples aren't acting like their disciples or followers. Jesus' disciples are eating with unclean hands, unwashed hands. And we get a, a key of why this is a major problem. Because Mark records the word defiled, which means unacceptable to God. So this is more than just hygiene and germs. This is them, this, they're seeing this as something, the way they're eating, this is unacceptable to God based on their beliefs and their systems. So how do we know that? The next couple verses, we read verses three and four, and you'll see in these verses that they're in a parentheses. And so in the Gospel of Mark, just key you in, when you're going through Mark's Gospel, if anything is in parentheses, it's there to explain to a non-Jewish reader some of the customs of the Jewish faith. Because the, Mark was particularly written for, for people who were in, typically in Rome or in that area, those who were not Jewish. And so sometimes you'll get some commentary in parentheses. So this cl- clues people in and keys them in on those specifics. And we'll see that here. We read in verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come to the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So here we get, it pulls back the curtain a bit. Here's, this is why this is an issue. And that the religious leaders, they know that, look, people people need to wash their hands before they eat. This This is a tradition of the elders. This needs to be continued. And so there's a point of difference. Two of them here, they're listed right away. First is the uncleanness. We see that, hear that it's unclean if they eat in this manner. Now technically, technically, it was only the Old Testament priests that were required to wash their hands if you go by the written law. But the oral traditions that came after said everyone needed to. And these developed over, over decades upon decades as the Jewish people connected more and more with non-Jewish people. They were in a culture where they wanted to remain separate. And so they developed all these additional rules to make sure everything was clean. Not only hands of everyone, but as we see, cups, pitchers, and kettles, they clearly clearly had an obsession with purity here. And so there's a point of difference with uncleanness. The other point of difference that Jesus points out is holding to the tradition of elders, meaning these oral traditions. Uh, Many believed at that time that there were two sets of laws given to Moses up on Mount Sinai. There was the written law, which we know of, the Ten Commandments and, and the commands we see in the first five books of the Old Testament. But there was also the oral 
law that was given, oral traditions, known as the Mishnah, which in Hebrew means repetition by study. So by repeating, by saying over and over, by orally sharing these traditions, these were passed down over the centuries. Uh, these laws were typically given as a way to help God's people follow God's commands. And it was described almost like a fence, where if you had a, a law like honor your father and mother, they developed all these other rules and commands around it so that everyone could at least have some type of menu to follow, if you will, some type of direction and guidance. That if you did all those other commands, you, were, you would make sure you followed that core command. The problem is they developed so many different additional rules that those became the focus. And they lost track of the core command that was in the middle. And it actually got buried deep beneath it. And so here, these oral traditions over time, human-made rules were made with good intention at the start, kept piling up one after the other and putting a big burden on people who are trying to follow them. So what happens in light of this? Now the action picks up. Verse 5, we start to see the confrontation. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So the Pharisees and teachers of the law start to come at Jesus. And they say, why don't your disciples, notice how they don't pick on him, they point, pick on his disciples. Why don't your disciples live according to these traditions? They wanted answers. And they were engaging Jesus. And they were starting to confront him. What I love about Jesus, he doesn't shy away from the conflict. He doesn't shy away from it. He steps into it. He does it with grace and truth, but he steps into it. And he does it right away as we continue the action in verse 6. He replies from the prophet Isaiah. He says, he replied, Isaiah was right. He was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He goes, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. So Jesus responds to their question. He doesn't shy away from the conflict. He steps into the conflict and he goes right to, on their turf, he quotes the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 29, 13. And he says to them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, he says to them. And he says, you hypocrites, hypocrites. Right? The word hypocrite, which comes from Greek theater. Someone, a hypocrite, someone who put on a mask to play a part in a, in a play or in theater. In fact, they would pretend to be someone and pretend to be in a role. In essence, Jesus is saying, you pretenders, you pretenders. And he doesn't hold back from Isaiah. He says, he goes, he goes, this is about you, that you honor God with your lips, meaning you talk a good game. You talk a good game, but your hearts are far from him. He goes on, you know, this is about them. They worship God in vain, and their teachings were merely human rules. And Jesus turns up the temperature even more. He says, he says that they let go of God's commands. Instead, we're holding on to human traditions. Well, how does he make this point? Now he gives a specific example, and he really dives in. So I invite you to, this is going to get really detailed, but I invite you to hang with me on this. Verses 9 through the next couple of verses, he continued. He says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. Now look at these next couple of verses where Jesus, he points out things that they've done. Listen for the words you and your. He says this, but you, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. 
Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Jesus doesn't shy away from the conflict. He's exposing what stands in the way of God, of loving God and loving others. In fact, he says, you've rejected God's commands. He says, now you've been observing your own traditions. That word that's used to describe observing is used in other places about to describe setting up or erecting like an idol, something that stands in the place of God. Jesus is turning up the temperature on these religious leaders. He's saying, he's saying, you've rejected God's commands, and in fact, you've set up or stood up or erected all these other rules, and in fact, they're taking the place of God's command. And he gives a specific example. He goes with that, the command, honor your father and mother, one of the Ten Commandments. And another command in terms of anyone who curses their father and mother will be put to death. Verse 11, he says, but you say this. In essence, he's saying, look, he's confronting them, and he's like, there's something that's standing in the way of you loving God and others. And what is that? I'm grateful for James Edwards and his commentary on Mark as he explained this idea of Corbin, not something we talk about in our day. Corbin, which means, is a word for offering. And it's rooted in a couple verses in the Old Testament. And in the oral tradition or Mishnah, the idea was in these vows, there's something that could be taken where you could dedicate something to God, dedicate something to the temple. And then once you died, that those resources would go to God's temple and to God's people. And it's a way of saying, because like now it would be like almost having like a delayed Delayed giving, saying, I'm going to set up, hey, I'm going to set up and will to, like, New Providence Presbyterian Church, something for when you pass away. It's a, it was a common practice back then, and on the surface, it seems like a, that's a good thing. Someone says, I have property, I have financial resources, I want to give it to God. But what Jesus points out, and we see here, is that people were using that to get around caring for other people. Meaning, saying, like, well, if you, have, if you had need, parents in deep need, and you didn't like your parents, and you didn't want to give them money? Or maybe you have a sister or a brother who's always calling for money. Or someone else, your kids, calling for money. Whenever my phone goes off, I'm thinking, my kids want money. Something like that is going on, right? Someone wants money. This was a way that people were tricking the system. They were saying, I'm giving it to God. I'm going to give it to God. But then if someone wanted that, they're like, well, we, I've dedicated it to God. And so um, it was a way to kind of shield resources. And the problem was that if anyone wanted to take it back, these religious leaders would charge a huge penalty. So if someone all of a sudden had a moment of conviction saying, if they're like, I'm going to give this property and all this financial, I'm going to dedicate it to God so no one else can, can get to it, then if someone came and they had a moment of conviction, they're like, you know what? I need, to, I need to take this back. I need to give this to my parents. I need to give it to someone I love. They would charge an, an, an exorbitant amount of money to be able to get it back. And so the, these, this is really, as you think about it, it's completely messed up. And they developed these additional rules, um, and, and people were taking advantage of these rules, and it was getting in the way of loving, not only loving God, but loving other people well. In fact, this oral tradition ended up nullifying the word of God. And so it's just saying, honor your father and mother, someone can say, I'm going to get around that through this oral tradition or extra rule. It's kind of technical, but that's what was happening. Well, what does Jesus do with it? He moves forward in verse 14, picking up the action. Jesus called the crowd to him. Now he expands his circle. He calls the crowd to him, and he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Jesus makes a sharp and urgent appeal. He says, listen to me, listen to me. Now, Jesus only does this nine times in Mark's gospel, and every time he does it, it's a solemn pronounce, pronouncement. It mean, meaning, when he says, listen to me, everyone should lean in. 
lean into what he's going to say. And he tells him a parable. He says, well, it's not what goes into a person that makes him unclean. It's what comes out. Once again, Jesus, what he does, the kingdom of God always turns things upside down and reverses things. Everyone would expect it. Okay, you eat with unclean hands, you become unclean yourself, or you become defiled or, or unworthy of God. Jesus is saying it's actually the opposite. Most would have been like, what's he really talking about? Well, he gives additional information in the next couple of verses, verse 17 on. He says, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Jesus said, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And here's, some, here's some comments in parentheses again. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And so by saying this and describing this, first, Jesus declares all food clean. So what have we see in Acts chapter 10 when God does that as well. Here, Jesus declares all food clean, meaning bacon is back on the table. That's the bottom line. If you get anything from this sermon, bacon is back on the table. Praise the Lord. Mark 7, 19, write it down. Put it on your, above your kitchen sink. No, but the fact that it's all there. But all seriousness, we see, now Jesus, it's interesting, whenever he goes in the house in Mark's gospel, five times he goes in the house. When he enters the house or is in the house, this is where he has deeper teaching with his disciples. And he goes deeper into content that people out in the crowds or out in public, they wouldn't be able to get it anyway. But no, every time you go, you see Jesus go enter the house, see what he says. It's the deepest teaching in Mark's gospel. These are the treasures. So he does that, and he says, it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, it's what comes out. And he continues to describe what does that mean in verse 20 through 23 as we complete the passage. He goes, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And he gives 12 examples of evil acts and attitudes. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, Envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. It says all these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus says it comes from within. It comes from within. And he gives this set of 12 evil actions and attitudes. It's important to notice that Jesus names these. Jesus names these. Don't lose track of this. Right, in a world, in a, in a culture that says, well, Jesus never talked about evil. Jesus never talked about sin. Jesus is a nice guy, and, and he never talks about bad things. He names evil and sin very clearly here. Take note of that. And remember that, yes, God loves us and accepts us for who we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He never leaves us there. He meets us where we are, and he moves us forward. Here, Jesus calls out very clearly that which stand, is against God in, in terms of evil actions and attitudes. And so we see him call this out, and he says it comes from within. It comes from within. In summary, let me summarize where we've come to at this point. First, we see how there's this conflict. And first, Jesus addresses the oral traditions of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Then he takes kind of a side note and says, look, this is a sidebar, and says it's because of this. It's these human-made rules, these oral traditions. This is what's standing in the way of people loving God and loving others. And they're taking advantage of some of these in the example of honoring your father and mother and this idea of setting aside money so you don't have to give it to them. But then he comes back and he makes the significant point that these human-made oral traditions actually stand in the way of faithfully following God, loving God, loving other people. They get in the way. So what does this mean for us today? How does Jesus come to us through this passage? How does he come to us through into our relationships, our lives, what we're facing? Now, a couple weeks ago as I was playing this, started to plan this sermon, 
it was very, I thought it was very clear. It comes from within. And that's the typical sermon out of this passage. And it's true. I'll give you a mini-sermon right now. Are you ready? Here's the mini-sermon. Our hearts, are where, uh, what we do, our thoughts, attitudes, and actions come out of the heart. And it's the fruit of our heart. And so if we want to change our thoughts, attitudes, and actions, we have to invite God to transform our hearts because it comes from within. It's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. Sermon's done. Ready? Okay, that's, that's one sermon. Put that, that's bonus material. But the focus of this passage is so much bigger than that. It blew my mind as I said, it's really, this is about Jesus exposing that he wants to remove anything and everything that keeps us from faithfully loving God and others. He wants to clear the way. He confronted these religious leaders as the way to do this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to get it right. But they had gone too far. They had lost track of the main thing, which is loving God and loving other people. They built up all these traditions and rules, and Jesus exposed this through this confrontation. So what does it mean for us? We have to ask ourselves, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we create maybe additional rules or hold on to practices of the past that could keep us from faithfully loving God and loving other people? We need to ask ourselves that personally. What are some things that maybe made sense a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, or, and things that were helpful then, but maybe now they're getting in the way of God. Or maybe there's additional rules that aren't in Scripture, but maybe someone else has kind of put that on you, saying you, you're only acceptable to God if you do X, Y, or Z, and saying, wait a minute, that's actually standing in the way of me and God. It can apply personally. It can also apply organizationally, as a church, no doubt, where things that may have made sense five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, don't make sense now. It's been said that all ideas were good at some point. Right? When they started, they were a great idea. And then as they take a life of their own over time, they can sometimes get in the way and become a barrier between us and God. We need to be asking ourselves as a church, are there things and practices that we have, programs in place, ways of doing things, that are actually standing in the way of us loving God and loving others, starting with loving one another, let alone our community, faithfully? We could ask that question. Lots of times this comes when a pendulum swings too far, where something was good for a moment, but then it's gone too far, and then you lose track of why it was important in the first place. Let me give you an example of my personal life, more so around beliefs than practices. I've shared openly that growing up for me, like in my house growing up, I felt like I had to be perfect to receive love from my parents, especially from my dad. And so that made its way into my, my Christian faith, where I felt like if I wasn't perfect for God, he wouldn't love me and accept me. And I heard this word of grace, that Jesus died for my sins. No matter what I would do, he, he, his love and acceptance was available for me. I just had to believe and trust that he did this for me and that his unconditional love was available for me. And I took that step of faith. My life was changed through that. And that, those words came from this church. My life was changed through this church. And I've learned this wonderful, uh, incredible, deep theological truth that we are justified or accepted by faith alone and saved by grace alone. These are the wonderful things of the Reformation that happened hundreds of years ago. But as that pendulum swung way too far for me, or swung far, I realized years later that, hey, I've been saved by grace. I don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. And that quickly became, that means I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. I'm fine. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm saved. I've got a ticket to heaven, and I'm God's child. And, and I just kind of got really, really, really lazy in my faith. And all of a sudden, the commands of God, not there to earn God's favor, but to follow be- because we have God's favor, they, they weren't there for me. It doesn't, am I making any sense? And so 
it took some good mentors and friends to say, hey, Jeff, are you, are you leaning in to the fact that grace shouldn't be what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace, where it's a call to action. Again, not to earn God's favor, but because we have God's favor. And so it was standing in the way of me faithfully loving God and loving other people. The calls to action to love and serve the poor are not an option in Scripture. The calls to action to love your enemies and pray for them is not an option. We're called to, there's lots of uncomfortable commands that for me I was conveniently saying, I'm saved by grace. I don't have to earn God's favor. And God's saying, no, you're still called to do that. Um, I don't know if I'm making any sense. I'm just kind of putting it out there. But I want if you want to talk more about that, if that's part of your story, I'd love to talk to you about that. God has been constantly shaping me in that. I don't know what it is for you, but I ask that as you think about your life, to be praying and asking God, what is something, maybe it's a practice, an additional rule, or even a belief that could be getting in the way of faithfully loving others and loving God, and let Jesus expose it, help you remove it, and move you forward in greater faithfulness. Um, as you think about this, yeah, the one thing to remember from the sermon is that main point, is that Jesus exposes whatever is standing in the way of faithfully loving God and others. And then he provides the way forward as we look to him. That's number one. Number, as you think about one thing to do, I, I encourage you to do this. Identify say, a non-essential belief or practice that may be standing in the way of faithfully loving God and others. Think about your life. Is there something, is there a rule or a practice or something which has, is, is saying, hey, it was, it was a good idea at one point, but now it's, somehow it's getting in the way of how I can love God faithfully or love others faithfully. Ask God to expose that. Bring it to God in prayer and then ask him to remove that barrier and see what God does. Um, this is a, a deeper teaching that came out of this confrontation of, with Jesus and these religious leaders. If you really dig into this and let God look at your life, see what's standing in the way, and let him free you up to love others more faithfully. Let his grace come to you and flow through you and see what that does. Um, as we finish, I'm gonna take some moments to reflect on that uh, during the Lord's Supper. Um, as we come together for communion. Uh, but let me pray for us as we consider this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we consider this confrontation with Jesus and his religious leaders, God, first, thank you that he didn't shy away from the conflict and that in this confrontation, he was able to expose what was standing in the way, not only of these religious leaders, but his disciples and all who listened, to expose what was standing in the way of loving God and other, loving others faithfully. God, you know our lives. You know uh, what's happening in our lives. We ask and pray that you would do the same thing in our lives. In fact, God, that you would expose whatever it is, Lord, if it's a practice, if it's a belief, it's, if it's an additional rule that's not found in your word, something, God, that's standing in the way of us faithfully loving you and faithfully loving others. Help us to bring it to you, God. And as we do, Lord, that you would clear the way uh, so we wouldn't be trying to get around loving you and loving others, but that we would step into loving you and loving others. And may we do that more and more every single day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.